welcome to talc teaching and learning consultation skills this is the talc talks podcast helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills to get better outcomes and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction Today I'm joined by Anne, Julian and Jonathan. Julian, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I'm Julian Tompkinson. I'm a GP and trainer in Bolton and a primary care medical educator in Manchester. Thank you. Anne? Hi, I'm Anne Thomas. I'm a GP in Manchester and also a primary care medical educator in Manchester. Thank you. And Jonathan? Hi, I'm Jonathan Squibbs, a final year GP trainee based in South Manchester. Thank you. Today's podcast concerns the module which is called Talc Skills for Managing Time Effectively. We're going to be talking about time during the consultation, how it feels, how we can use our time well and how to make our uses of time more effective. Julian, could I begin by asking you what kinds of concerns clinicians in training have about time during consultations with patients? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's the most commonly requested um, problem area that we're asked to look at when we're teaching consultation skills and, and actually discussing this uh, this topic a bit more reveals there's a, there's a load of emotions and uh, sort of behaviours that come from, from this problem with time management and these can be just things like how stressful it feels to run late, how we, we hate keeping people waiting you know if we're running behind. Some, some of my trainee clinicians will say how they can almost feel the patient sat in the waiting room and how cross and frustrated they must be. And then they often start feeling guilty if they keep people waiting. And that means then that, that can lead to them feeling overwhelmed. And then they can start to rush or they can start to feel that they have to give extra time to the patients. They owe the patients extra time for keeping them waiting. And, and then sometimes things that happen is that they stop listening to the patients. They lose the flow and structure of the consultation. And it can even end up as a, a bigger picture where I've, we've heard phrases like, I'll never be on time, I'm no good, what do people think about me, I'm not going to pass my exams, I'll never be ready or fully qualified, I'll never be able to consult like an experienced you know, doctor or, or clinician. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a huge big area and it's you know, something that we, we can really work on and help, help clinicians in training. Wow, that, that is a lot. And as you say, it's quite an emotional and stressful issue. And do you have any other thoughts about what, what comes up for clinicians when they talk about this? Yeah, so we'll, we'll quite often collate a sort of wish list for skills that we're going to focus on to develop in the consultation. As Julian said, it's really common that trainees, um, they'll ask things like, how can I speed up? So it is on their mind or they'll ask, you know, what do you have to do to save time in consultation? So there's an idea that the, the plate, there's possibly they're looking for shortcuts or ways to save time. Being efficient is frequently mentioned. So there is a recognition that there are efficiencies to be made. So um, when we're sort of perhaps focusing some, on some skills, often maybe when they've identified it as an issue, they'll say, you know, I want to be a bit more efficient. How, how do we work on that? Um, so yeah, as Julian said, it, it's a really common concern. And of course, realistically, we will always have a relatively limited time with people. And and yet when we observe experienced clinicians, they still get people saying things to them like, thank you for giving me so much time or thank you for listening, even though the consultation hasn't been particularly long. Whereas inexperienced clinicians might have quite long consultations and seem to somehow get less done. So it's, it's an interesting area, isn't it? 
Julian, how do you approach this issue of time when, when you want to help people improve their consultation skills? Yeah, it's like, as you, you and Anna both said, it's, it's the key really is to practice consultation skills. It's not so much as it's a magic wand to suddenly run to time. So I suppose becoming aware, learning and practicing core consultation skills is, is really the way forward. And, you know, the modules that are in the TALC programme cover all the different sections and elements of the consultation. And every single one of those sections can help with time management. So just, I mean, I could go through all of them, but for instance, listening without interrupting. So, so many clinicians over the years have said, you know, just by sitting and listening to the patient and not interrupting them, I heard loads of great information that, that saved me having to ask any further questions. So that instantly it saved loads of time. If you move on in the consultation, trying to really identify the patient's agenda or agendas early in the consultation really helps you focus on, on the need of the consultation. And that can save time by providing a real focus and structure. And then if there are, if there's quite a lot to deal with at the consultation, setting an agenda pays attention to this structure. What can be realistically expected to be covered in that consultation or that encounter? And so these skills can be learned and practiced separately and slowly and then combined and built together. And like everything you want to master takes effort and practice. And I suppose you can think of it a bit like when you start learning to drive, you don't immediately enter a Formula One race to try and beat Lewis Hamilton. Uh, yeah, definitely. You don't start in a Formula One race. And I, I think that idea of establishing core skills, perhaps quite slowly in a way, but getting to hone them and do them well is a good way to go. And it, it's clear that some good listening skills will save time. And one helpful way is to watch a consultation or a recording and observe carefully for things that seem to take up a lot of time. Can you comment on some of the things that you might see in consultations that actually waste time unnecessarily? Yeah, so as you've identified, um, observing a consultation is a really helpful way to begin to identify these. Um, frequently see asking the same question several times. And this is often perhaps because the clinician has forgotten the answer or asked the question and then not paid attention to the answer. Um, also asking patients for information that's already been given. Again, about sort of listening and paying attention. So sometimes something that's come out in the narrative will then be questioned again. And not only does this waste time, um, but patients pick up on this and it it's, um, can be a way that patients will disengage if they think they're not being listened to. We notice repeating explanations. Um, often this is a real sign that a shared understanding hasn't been reached. Um, clinicians will pick up on the cue that a patient looks wary and simply repeat the explanation rather than taking some time to achieve a shared understanding. We see quite a lot of asking irrelevant questions, perhaps about what's happened in the past, perhaps using a sort of formulaic sort of medical school list of questions to be asked rather than focusing and trying to understand on what's happening right now. And that can waste a great deal of time. Asking permission to ask questions this uh, is something that we see where uh, clinicians in training will say, is it okay if I ask some questions and say this several times? And it's just unnecessary and it, and it takes up a lot of time. And I think it can be quite irritating for the patient who, who, who understands what you know, the medical interview is about. Often failing to summarize what has been said um, let, leads to patients repeating themselves. Again, as we said before, if patients don't feel that they've made themselves understood to you and if the clinician hasn't indicated that the patient has been understood, then sometimes that repetition can go on and on. And this can be related to 
sometimes if the emotional meaning is what, of what's been said has not been picked upon or um, indicated. So there's sort of top five or six of what we see that there are a number of things that can waste time. Yeah, that, that's quite interesting. And uh, the, the theme of repetition has come up a lot um, when people perhaps haven't picked up on what's been said. And anything that's being repeated is inevitably wasting time, isn't it? Jonathan, I'm interested from your point of view as a clinician in training. Do you think clinicians in training are aware of where they use up time, perhaps unnecessarily? What do you think? Yeah, so certainly when, um, when we used to see the other trainees sort of face-to-face, one of the main things we were discussing was how long appointments are, how late we ran uh, the other day, um, those sorts of things, and discussing reasons for those. Um, and I think a lot of the time, sort of certainly I'm, I've been guilty of this, that trainees might tend to not necessarily blame but think about other aspects so it's you know using the IT or the patient mentioned multiple things and brought something at the end of the consultation that made things go longer and it's about trying to to try and maybe make shortcuts so type while the patient's in the room or something to try and reduce down consultation times um etc um whereas actually I've really found in my experience that from reviewing consultations back that actually it's, it's those basic skills that we've been talking about that really help to um, with time management and make sure that's done effectively. So when I've been watching or listening back to consultations, you know, those ones where I'll say, why was this 15 minutes rather than eight? And it'll be when I've asked if they vomited three times or it didn't agenda set at the beginning. Um, uh, and therefore there was structure missing or there wasn't the agenda setting or I wasn't listening to the patient. And actually what I've realized is that it's so important to really develop those basics of the consultation skills so that we can then sort of include and develop and work on maybe the more advanced skills. Um, as listening skills improve, I've really found that I'm able to focus more on the patients, really understanding their needs. And overall, that tends to lead to more effective and efficient use of time with consultations. Thank you for all those thoughts for, from everyone. I think it's really, really interesting. Before we move on, I'd just like to quickly pick up this thing about shortcuts, because uh, I think experienced and skilled clinicians are not big fans of shortcuts. Uh, being focused on what really is important is not a shortcut, that's being focused. But if you try and cut corners or, sh- or hurry people up, it often comes back to bite you in the end and it makes the risk of error much higher actually uh, and the risk of reconsultation, which wastes more time if people have to come back. So I think we have to think very carefully when, and, and avoid thinking about shortcuts and perhaps think about increasing effectiveness rather than trying to kind of cut things out. I'd like to turn now to think about the specific things that we can do to help us use time more effectively. And these are sometimes called the skills that provide structure to the consultation. So, Julian, I was wondering if you could say something about structure here and how that can help. Yeah, so I suppose, as we've mentioned, there, there are lots of stages to the consultation and you know, various models have been done. And, and there is a, a structure starting with introduction and listening and then moving through to you know, uh, data gathering. And I, I won't go on, but having a logical sequence and trying to stick to that sequence when possible can really help all of us sort of stick to the tasks in order so for an example I mean, i've done this myself a few times where you, you hear something that um, you think a patient might say you know something about a cough and you assume that they want antibiotics so quickly you say well i don't think this is going to require antibiotics and it maybe do that before you've actually uh, fully assessed the patient i mean the patient might not want antibiotics anyway 
or, or they might be actually indicated. So, and then you end up backtracking and, and it can take ages. And having that structure, so attending to the information gathering before you start to explain things is, is a really sensible thing, which I've learned the hard way on many occasions. Another important skill is, is then sort of explaining or signposting the sequence to the patient. So, for example, you might have a patient who's come with a sore back. They've also got a mole that's changed on the back. And, and you might say to them, well, let's start by spending some time understanding the pain in your back. And then I'll make sure to examine the mole when I, I check your back later. And then that really sort of helps share the structure and the flow of the consultation with, with your patient, as well as making a plan a bit more you know, tactile in our minds, I suppose. I think that's that's really good information and, and I think one of the things about the TARP resources is all of us, and I definitely include myself in this, we have learnt the hard way about not doing this and uh, it would be so helpful to people who are learning these skills to, to realise there are easier and more flowing ways to go through the consultation. There are different maps and models about the consultation, but they all share a clear structure and it's helpful for clinicians in training to look at these and learn about them. In these modules, we really stick to the Calgary-Cambridge structure for simplicity, really. It's very straightforward uh, and it's useful to help that sort of fix us so that we know where we are in the consultation and where we're going next. So Anna, I was wondering if you could comment on the skills that help things to flow through the structure that Julian's outlined so that we don't get stuck and don't have enough time to finish all the essential bits of the consultation. Yeah, there's um, a few key skills to focus on. Summarising at the end of each section, using signposting skills to signal what section is then coming up. And something that's... Um, something that's sometimes new to clinicians in training, which is using transitional statements to move things um, into the next phase. And as Julian said, this is helpful for clinicians to organise your own thoughts and the structure, but really helpful for patients to understand what's happening now and what's going to happen next. So an example might be this. So this back pain on and off for two months is now impacting your ability to work. Let's now examine you and get some more information to work with, which is a summary and in, uh, an explanation of what's going to happen next, and even a bit of an explanation of, of what you're going to do after that as well. So there's quite a lot of information to, to give structure for both you and the patient. Thank you. That that makes a lot of sense. So, Julian, how, how can we actually teach and learn these skills? Can you get better at these skills if you're in training? Yeah, I mean, earlier on, Anne described watching or listening to consultations. Um, and, and that's really a, a great way to, to raise uh, awareness in, in a, a trainee clinician. And a supervisor can in, encourage um, the use of, of, of these skills. So maybe the use of a transitional statement could be, could be encouraged uh, you know, in the feedback, but also the, the, um, the supervisor or the educator could, could model that in the teaching session itself. So for example, let's spend some time on this area and then we can pay attention to the to that section later. And the supervisor can then link the use of these statements um, to the use in the trainee clinicians' consultations. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting parallel, isn't it, between the structure of a teaching session and the, the structure of a consultation. And you will have noticed that I've been using one or two transitional statements and signposting statements during during this podcast as well. So, um, Anne, I'm just wondering about uh, any thoughts about helping people to develop these skills um, and practice them. What, what kind of things can help people get an idea about this? 
Yeah, I mean, I think introducing the, this um, idea to an individual or a group of trainees, perhaps talking about um, creating some sort of useful basic transitional statements. We recognise that there are different phases of the consultation and uh, we've identified also that having structure and flow relies on moving between each of these phases. So you might pick a couple of phases of the consultation and then create some basic statements. So, for example, if you're moving perhaps between agenda setting to information gathering, you might use a phrase along the lines of, so we're talking about X, Y and Z today. You've said you'd prefer to talk about Y first. Go ahead. So if that's something that trainees, clinicians can create and then practice, it becomes more natural. They can get to see the results of using these sort of statements and they may create one for each recognized phase of the consultation obviously with some flexibility but perhaps um, one if you were moving um, from perhaps explanation to planning maybe a phrase along the lines of I think I understand how this back pain has been affecting you now let's talk about what next again it gives some structure but also some of that indication that you're transitioning to the next phase of the consultation. So having a sort of bank of these sharing ideas can be a way to really hone the skills and then put them into practice. Thank you. That makes a lot of sense. So, Jonathan, have you been able to try out any of those kind of uh, transitional statements and signposting statements in your own consultations? What, what happened if you did that? Yeah, this is something I've really been trying to incorporate over the last few months. Um, into my consultations, these statements. Um, and I find them to be really effective um, for a number of reasons. One, it really helps me to realise where this consultation is going, provides a structure that I need as well, um, but also provides that to the patient as well. So they're really clear about kind of the stages and the sections we're moving through. Um, a few times I found it has allowed the patient to add things on that they wanted to say that maybe I hadn't realised or, you know, before. So if they were clear and moving on to examination, they said, oh, just before you do, can I kind of mention this? And again, that really helps in time management because they don't bring us up at the end when, you, when you're in the closing section. Um, I've also really been thinking about how I use this kind of in a remote setting um, or when I'm doing a hybrid of the two as well. So if I've spoken to somebody and bring them down for assessment. And I've sort of really been trying as well there to maybe on the phone if I'm bringing someone down to say the plans I'd like to do I would examine you and then we'll talk about maybe what's going on how does that sound and again it really just helps to prime the patient so they're aware of what to expect as the next next steps of the consultation um, again just so that we're both clear on the outcomes and where this is heading so I found this be really helpful and really effective yeah. Thank you for that. And, and it sort of echoes what we were talking about in the module skills for beginning consultations effectively in the chapter, how is a consultation like a business meeting? Because I think this sort of shows that the the the, the person, the, the clinician is kind of running the meeting like a business meeting. And in a business meeting, you always have a, a certain sequence of things on the agenda and you do some things first and some things later. And the person running the meeting makes sure that the right amount of time is allocated to the right things in the right way. And I think it sort of echoes that very much. Before we finish, I want to talk a little bit more about longer consultations. But before I do that, I want to highlight another important skill. You will have noticed that I used a few signposting skills earlier on, but also just now I used what's called an embedded command. So I said before we finish, signalling that the finish is on its way. Now, using language in this subtle way can influence things like, for example, um, you might say, um, 
you know, I, before I examine you, I just want to know something or other. Uh, and that moves things forwards. And you could say something like, you know, while you get your coat on, I'll get your prescription sorted out. Or uh, I think we've covered everything. Are you happy about what will happen next? So you're kind of signalling what's coming next and you're signalling the progress through the consultation as well. That when you say something like, you know, I think we've covered everything, you're kind of signalling the end is coming. So having talked about that, I, I would like to go back to what I was going to say about longer consultations and really throw this open. Is it always actually necessary to stick completely to time? So, Jonathan, what do you think? I think this is something that as I have progressed through training, I'm, I'm realising is, is actually less important than I thought it was at sticking to time. I think I'd, I think it's important that vast majority of time patients are, you know, there's clear agenda and it's kind of like that business meeting you were talking about. But I think I'm realising that that just doesn't work for some patients in terms of they sometimes need a bit longer and they sometimes need... Um, time being spent on certain aspects and things like this um, and so I think I would say that actually it's something that I'm becoming less concerned about in terms of if say a consultation does run longer than I was expecting it to or something like that um, yeah no, that's interesting Julian do you think there's ever an element of kind of almost investing time you know rather than seeing it as just overrunning what, what do you think yeah absolutely I, I, I mean some of the the consultations, I mean, like Jonathan said, sometimes you, you've just got more to, you know, there's an emotional need or a, a, a medical need that has to be addressed in that time. But but often just investing a little bit more time and doing a long consultation just helps move things on so much, so much quicker that the, you know, regular short consultations, you, you, you've got to, you spend time greeting, um, catching up and, and actually just, a half an hour consultation can achieve probably more than four 10-minute consultations in many ways. I guess you've got to temper that, though, because we are a resource and, and you've got to look after yourself and, and you can create an expectation that every 10-minute appointment is, is a 30-minute appointment. So, but, um, it's, you know, it'd be, it'd be lovely if we, were, if we just had uh, longer appointments anyway, uh, in many ways. But, uh, but, but certainly there's a... There's, I mean, there's evidence to support the long consultation has been a beneficial therapeutic input as well so I've seen a lot of changes in this during my professional lifetime because when I very first started in general practice it was routine to have five minute appointments and people thought like 10 minute appointments were a little bit you know um for people who couldn't really cope and that kind of thing and um the average appointment I think is actually more like 12 minutes or something like that and m many practices are moving towards 15 minute appointments and certainly when I've been working at that length I found you can get through a tremendous amount we had um, a, a, an opportunity some years ago to have a, a special clinic where we could offer people longer and sometimes I'd meet people and think gosh you're very complicated I'll book you into one of these half an hour slots but what I found was often it was better to strike while the iron's hot. You know, sometimes people would come in with a complicated problem. And by the time you'd realised it was complicated, you'd almost kind of solved it. And getting them to come back another day um, kind of seemed to take a lot of time. Or they'd come back and say, well, I felt much better after I spoke to you last week. So I, I don't think I've got much else to say now. So I definitely kind of got this feeling that sometimes it's better to strike while the iron's hot and just be clear about that. Although I do think 15 minute appointments are probably the way to go in our modern complex world, really. Do you have any thoughts, Sam, about all that? 
Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, and I think one of the things that um, I've come to realise is there's, there's a lot, as um, Julian was talking about right at the beginning of the discussion, there's a lot of emotions attached to this. We talked about how we feel stressed, how we might feel guilty even, how patients are angry. Um, and I think actually the this idea of however long your consultation is, if you have um, a structure and some clear idea about um, how things are going to flow and if that's made explicit with patients then sort of knowledge is power in reducing those sort of emotions and yes you know we're not and neither are our patients sort of robots and we're not going to finish it you know uh, nine minutes and 59 seconds each time but I think if you build that understanding that um, everyone is an individual and each consultation is individual and you have the skills, then the emotions are often taken out of it a lot um, and everyone can feel a bit more satisfied, however long the consultation might be. I think that's really interesting to bring it back to that thing about the emotions, because it's also reminding me again um, about the chapter in the beginning consultations effectively, where we talk about can you go home with energy to spare, which is about thinking about and working with the fact that we can build up these emotional disturbances through the day if we get more and more stressed because we feel we're getting later and later. It actually makes us more inefficient. We don't think as clearly. We, we're not as calm. We're not as responsive and so on. And some of those skills which are about resetting yourself, um, you know, you might have a long or complicated consultation or, you know, where something dramatic happens, like somebody collapses or something. You can't just say, well, actually, I've, I've had my 10 minutes sorting this out. You've just got to do what you have to do or if somebody's very breathless or something. Um, but then after that, before you start again, you almost need to calm down and reset, put those things on one side and be able to approach the next consultation very calmly, because that means you're more likely to deal with that one efficiently. I think that's 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 probably what what my uh final thought is. So thank you for all that. I think that the two key messages here are, well, perhaps there are three key messages, really. Uh, build your basic consultation skills and that will save time. Make sure you invest in the beginning of the consultation and really understand the focus of the consultation because that will save time. And finally, think about structure, signposting and transitional statements. There's more materials about this in the module that accompanies this and there will be some examples in videos of how to do this. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.